The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio. Your host is Rochelle McLaughlin. It's time to experience radical well-being. Learn to nourish your heart, body, and mind. Manifest your power in the present. And learn to live your life's infinite potential. Now, here's your host, Rochelle McLaughlin. Welcome, everyone. It is such a pleasure to have you here with me on Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio. Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio is a place to open our hearts, free our minds, and inspire us to become the best of who we can be become. We are nearing the end of 2016, and it is a time of year that is considered a time of going inward, of connecting with our deepest aspects of ourselves, of reflecting, of opening the heart, and of sensing our interconnectedness. It is also a time of connecting with our loved ones. And may we simply experience our loved ones as they are without needing them to be any other way than who they are and just loving them where they are at in their lives today, in the present now. This is a profoundly powerful practice and it is one that my guest today, human potentialist Susan Olasek, cares deeply about and definitely integrates into her work in extraordinary ways with the intention of helping others become the best of who they can become. And without further ado, allow me to introduce Susan Olasek. Born outside of Boston, Susan spent her formative years in Asia with occasional forays into places of extreme suffering, like the walled city of Hong Kong and the streets of Bombay. These experiences made deep impressions on her Enneagram Type 1 ideological heart. By the time she entered Occidental to study sociology, Susan's resolve to somehow make a contribution to this world was embedded in who she was becoming. This determination percolated while she raised three boys and began to study the Enneagram, a process that took her deeply into herself and the great losses um, suffered in her own childhood. In 2009, Susan emerged hopeful and certified, full of ideals and with just enough self-belief to accept the challenging invitation to teach the Enneagram to 100 inmates in a little prison in Texas. This decision changed the trajectory of her personal and professional life forever. Susan delights in the unknown yet vast unfolding of the Enneagram Prison Project. And you can find out more about that specific project at www.enneagramprisonproject.org. Susan is also a transformation consultant. She's a people person, and that doesn't just mean she's friendly. It means she understands human capacity structurally, emotionally, and intellectually. It's about an unwavering belief in the human potential and the human mastery behind pursuing it. Welcome, Susan, to Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio. You know, the moment 
I read the statement that you made that we are all in a prison of our own making in the way that we suffer our personalities. I knew I needed to have you on Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio (laughs) because this resonates so much with my own experience that I Mm -hmm. lived in a sort of a prison, a kind of mental prison of my own making. And because I had this experience, I know others are having this experience. And I also knew that there's, I, you, I knew very deeply in my own heart and being that you knew something very deeply um, about how to heal our own self-inflicted incarceration. So first, thank you so much for being here with us. And if you could also start by helping us understand what you mean by this statement and what are some of the self-sabotaging patterns that we're currently perpetuating? Mm. Well, first of all, thank you so much for the opportunity to be here and to speak to the thing that I'm so passionate about. I really never tire of this topic, and um, I especially appreciated this, the way you grounded us all, and um, part of what you said about and calling in our loved ones and loving them where they are at is really part of the um, the thing that we struggle so much with inside of ourselves. We have a hard time loving ourselves where we're at and therefore have a really hard time letting anybody else be the way they just are either. And I think that's part of what I mean by the self-made prison. And we have sort of a, a way inside of ourselves in nine different ways, I would say, of absenting ourselves from who we truly are. And then we keep looking outside of ourselves to find the thing that we feel like will remind us who we really you know, remember, but have sort of lost track of. And um, the the way that we do that on the outside is sort of like an imitation, like a mimic of what I would call, and the Enneagram folks call the essential quality that's inside of all of us that never quite does the job. So we get this idea that we're not enough, we're not good enough, not helpful enough, not successful enough, unique enough, you know, knowledgeable enough. And it goes on and on. And um, in whatever way we, we believe this at our core, we tend to adopt a set of cognitive, emotional, and behavioral um, strategies to try to make ourselves feel more of the thing we're missing. And those things collectively we call our personality. And then Enneagram suggests that there's nine of those. And um, when we get down to the territory that is... Um, our Enneagram type, our personality structure, it's called different things. It can give us a whole lot of data um, about how we suffer. So the Enneagram itself is like a map of ego structures that can show us the way home. I, I think that's a, a start anyway for us, Rochelle, to get us going. Does that make oh, sense? It does. Yes, it's so fascinating. And, you know, it's certainly been while I didn't focus on the Enneagram, I know you and I are going to have a bit of a dialogue about, um, you know, you're kind of guiding me through the Enneagram so that I can really see sort of what my type would be, and we'll definitely go through that. But it's been interesting, you know, the self-awareness practices through mindfulness practices have also helped me identify certain aspects of, you know, where the ego has played such a, you know, such a strong part in um, my life. And I know, you know, sort of out there, there's dialogue about how we have to get rid of the ego and the ego's, you know, so destructive and it's so, um, such a, you know, something that we want to get rid of is what's your perspective about 
that about the ego itself and um, and also using the Enneagram about how uh, mapping it like you mentioned yeah I think it's um, accepting it would be a good first step and um, I'm a really big fan of Byron Katie's work and her her book Loving What Is I think that's a stretch for most of us but if we could just see it and accept that it's going on then I think that we could go a long way towards reducing the suffering that comes when we follow our ego Um, but I think that the acceptance is really tricky for most of us. We we struggle, and the thing that we're resisting is the thing that is really persistent. So, I think a lot of the mindfulness that we um, that we use in the project that I, I teach in my consulting and that I use for myself personally is just being willing to um, be present to whatever is coming up, and um, and being with that. And so if I if I feel judgmental and that's a characteristic that goes along with my personality type, then can I just be with the judgment? And then if if I'm able to accept that I'm judgmental, then it might just allow me to be curious about why. And um, all of our human behavior and our thinking and the stuff that comes up inside of ourselves is just an attempt to get um, some need met. And that driving need is just to be loved, to know that we're loved. And when we get the sense that we're not, we struggle. And um, part of that is, is about the pattern that we are in our Enneagram type. So just accepting, okay, well, so I'm a judgmental. What's that about? And um, it's amazing how little we'll let, we'll, we will let ourselves discover inside of ourselves if we're just beating ourselves up for whatever the feeling is. So we have to start with that. You know, it's it's such a paradox in a way because that's that's definitely uh, probably, I would say is, Maybe, and I wonder if you your experience is the same, that this is one of the most challenging aspects is beginning to, you know, turn towards our experience as it is in the present moment. And as we start to do this initially, at least in my experience, there was so much dysfunction that it was really hard to be with that. Like you're... You were talking about, or there's a statement you have about the self-sabotaging patterns that when we show up for that, it's really, that in and of itself is like the first step, but it's really hard to do. Do you have any thoughts about um, ways to go about doing that in a skillful way? About being with our own self-sabotage, do you mean? Right, or just being with, you know, just starting on this journey, if this is something that we're really new with and just, you know, showing up in the present moment with whatever is here. How do we mm-hmm. begin that process? Yeah, I think it has to be a really gentle one. That's my first line of advice. And um, yeah. to just be really, really kind to yourself and whatever shows up. And that is, for me personally, that was not my usual MO. I'm very, very hard on myself and I still have a strong habit of being that way. Um, but all the people that have really loved me on the path and continue to coach me, remind me of um, my lovability. And that's the part that we tend to forget inside of ourselves. So to just be really gentle and um, really easy <laughs> on ourselves, mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. is the most essential piece every step of the way. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I would imagine too, that there's, there's an aspect of the Enneagram in particular, like the structure of it can actually feel kind of supportive. Like it can give support to the process of sort of opening ourselves to uh, those aspects of our personality and our ego that can um, also kind of normalize things so that we're not feeling like we're so, 
know, different from everyone else. It's like, well, no, there's a lot of people that are probably this particular personality type. And um, I imagine there's some, yeah, normalizing that happens in that. Well, I think too, like the Enneagram gets a, uh, it definitely gets a bad rap for being on the negative side. And it it can be because it's a system about making um, conscious what is unconscious in us. So it's pointing us to things that we mostly don't see that are really running us. Mm -hmm. And, um, but it's really a a system also about what's right with you, what's lovable about you, what your gifts are, what you bring to the world, the way you're designed in order to come and, and bring these essential qualities forth in the unique compilation that's you. I mean, it's really an amazing system. So it depends on how, how you focus yourself in it. And um, I think one of the ways that I love to work with the Enneagram is precisely like that, just to help people to fall in love with the good parts of themselves and to recognize that usually what we are all doing inside of ourselves is um, when we lose contact, we forget those aspects and then we overdo them. And so the, the, the Enneagram, your personality type points you to the things that are your most amazing qualities, the things that people hire you for and then as or marry you for or fall in love with you for. And then eventually the things that they're ready to fire you for, the things that they're ready to kill you for because <laughs> you're driving them into the ground and people would like us to just, you know, let up on our good qualities a little. Mm, you make it. Yes, and you make a really powerful statement I read on your website, which is www.susanolasek.com. And you say the good news, bad news is that we are fiercely addicted to our personalities like a drug of choice. We revert to our habits of mind, heart and body. This is also, again, feels resonates very much with my experience as I just kept becoming more and more aware of um, my own personal habits and patterns that were, you know, not helpful and helpful. Like you said, there's both bad and good news. Um, Can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, I think that, um, well, I always think I'm my own best material. And so I'll start with me, but I can, I can see my own personality style as a, what, Uh, type one on the Enneagram, which we call the perfectionist or the reformer. And um, one's really come to teach the rest of us about goodness. And Gandhi, I believe, is a type one. And, um, you know, Nelson Mandela. So this really high integrity and a a utopian visionary way of seeing how things could be. Um, But underneath that, sort of a a heartbreak about how things are not that way. And um, the young one comes to teach us about all this goodness, but inside they get the idea that I'm only loved based on how good I am and what I do right and and how much integrity I have. So ones really get in the habit, I have been in the habit in my life of of trying to be that good and earn my... um, my status of this being good enough instead of remembering that, and you know, goodness is inherent, not earned, mm-hmm. but it takes a while to, to really remember that. And mm-hmm. often our early, earliest childhood experiences in one way or another, we're sort of gathering the data and we, we have these natural talents and um, type ones have a sort of an instinctual way of knowing what's, what's good and what's, what's right, what's wrong. And it's not a thinking or a feeling, it's just a gut knowing. And this is part of their, um, their natural talent that when I don't trust this in myself then I can become incredibly critical and judgmental and thinking I have to work really hard and um, that can go awry really fast mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Well, Susan, <clears throat> time goes by so quickly. It is time to take a short break. And before we go, I'd love to share a quote from you, dear Susan. And you say, in order to change the world, we must first, first do the work that changes ourselves. Susan presented the EPP, which is the Enneagram Prison Project Vision, alongside a recounting of her very own journey inward across several speeches made in 2014. It was, in fact, the incarcerated that gave her the courage and impetus she needed to take that even closer look inside, the one that led her to the toughest lesson of all, the one of self-acceptance and forgiveness. And when we come back, we will um, touch base with Susan about that. My guest today is Susan Olasek, and you can connect with Susan and sign up on her mailing list and get updates and support her healing work at EnneagramPrisonProject.org and at SusanOlasek.com. We will be right back with Susan Olasek. Do you know that you were born to experience revolutionary wellness? Have you wondered why extraordinary physical, mental, and emotional health has eluded you? Do you know that your infinite personal power resides right here in the present moment? People all over the world are awakening to their birthright, revolutionary wellness. Introducing the Experience Revolutionary Wellness Coaching Program. Log on today to begin your journey into the mystery and join our virtual village. The world, now more than ever, needs you to feel revolutionarily well. Explore and integrate new ways of being. Learn to access your own unique treasure, the wisdom that is right there inside you, waiting to be revealed. Experience a renewed, vivid, and nourishing relationship with yourself and the world around you. When you experience revolutionary wellness, you will be the change you wish to see in the world. Log on to experiencerevolutionarywellness.com today and join Rochelle on an adventure into your own unique journey toward revolutionary wellness. You're listening to Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio. Rochelle is an internationally known meditation teacher, clinician of mind and body medicine, lifestyle change, and self-healing. She's an author, speaker, and creator of Experience Revolutionary Wellness Virtual Village. If you would like to reach Rochelle, send an email to Rochelle at experiencerevolutionarywellness.com. Again, that's Rochelle at experiencerevolutionarywellness.com. Now back to Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio. Before we get back to Susan Olesic, I want to let you know that my amazing team and I are working on the first issue of Revolutionary Wellness Magazine that is slated to launch January of 2017. There are amazing individuals featured in this issue, including articles by Emily Frost on empowering women and girls with real talk, Dr. Christine Page of The Healing Power of the Sacred Woman, Les Jensen of Citizen King, Dr. Natasha Campbell McBride on the gut and psychology syndrome, heirs to our oceans, as well as many other beautiful individuals that are sharing their wisdom and their passions with the world. Revolutionary Wellness Magazine is being created to help us all become the healthiest, wisest, most nourished and empowered people we can be so that we bring that wellness 
and that nourishment and that wisdom into the world and thereby co-create the more beautiful world we all know in our hearts is possible. And I'm also looking forward to um, hope, hopefully having Susan Olesek be a regular contributor to the magazine. And mm. my guest today is Susan Olesek. And she is a passionate woman that is bringing healing to our world on many levels through her amazing work with the Enneagram Prison Project. And she's also a consultant and a profound speaker of wisdom and a moving author. Susan says that we can't change anything that we cannot see. Susan's approach to human development begins with this premise. So the most important step, and oftentimes the more difficult one, lies in taking an honest look at ourselves. Susan holds the space for new perspectives of other people, of ourselves, of our teams and organizations by observing things through various lenses. We come to know that we are all constantly changing, and this gives us permission to hold our new findings loosely. In the process, we allow ourselves and others to see and be seen in a new light. Susan's approach is to expect the best despite the worst, and that doesn't mean looking through rose-colored glasses. It means getting honest enough with ourselves to see where our other cynicism our self-doubt gets in the way of what is possible. And you can find out more on EnneagramPrisonProject.org and SusanOlesic.com. Welcome back, Susan. Thank you, Michelle. Thank you. I want to talk, I would love to talk a little bit about what you, what led you to take a closer look inside yourself and what is it that's exactly about being vulnerable and what is it about self-acceptance and forgiveness that can be so profoundly healing? Well, I think that the way that we um, often end up taking a look at ourselves is messy and not like we think it's going to be. Um, That's usually what I find in the people that I work with and I know is really true for myself. The thing that's ironic is I'm uh, the personality style that's very hardworking and very... um, like I've already said, idealistic and um, always striving, I think, to to do better, to improve, to fix the things that are not right in me. So in my mind, I think I always thought I was um, taking steps close in. And um, to be fair, I'm sure I, I was in, in my own way. Um, but I think a lot of what I was doing was a lot of very ego driven and trying to outwardly um, get things wrapped up and finished and checked off and looking right. And um not really paying attention to how I felt and to what the inner experience was in my world. And I, I can appreciate as an adult now being able to look back that I think a lot of that was because it hurt inside of there. And I, um, I come from a background where I had an early, um, I lost my mom when I was five and she committed suicide. And so that kind of trauma um, was really pivotal in my life. And I I have a lot of compassion for me, for the little me that experienced that and, um, and then walled up my heart in order to, I think, just keep going. And um, so I, I believe I was a type one when I was five. I had a lot of that wiring kind of already organized inside of me before I was born, I believe. But I think as a little do-gooder, when that when that event happened, I, I sort of unconsciously decided that must have been because of me. And so I built up um, a lot of um, 
ways to try to make sure that that wouldn't happen again. And part of that was never getting anything wrong, being above and beyond recrimination. And um, a lot of those um, things involved being very self-critical. And so I, when I learned about the Enneagram, for me, it was so um, fascinating to understand. I, I just got the tip of the iceberg of well, what is this type one strategy of, of always trying to feel better um, by being good enough is really an ego-driven solution, but it doesn't ever um, work. It doesn't last. It's like a, a hit, a drug of choice that makes me get a little shot of dopamine for a little while, but then I go back to this uncomfortable sense of being lacking that's inside of me that I feel like I, I felt like I couldn't shed. And some of that was trauma and some of that is just plain old ego. And um, interestingly, so after I learned the Enneagram um, from a parenting teacher, I was working furiously on understanding myself, and it was informing a lot about how I was a parent, and I, was, I felt um, softening a lot of those edges. And, um, but it was when I was invited to, invited to go teach the system in that little Texas prison that I really changed most dramatically. And... I had just um, I had three little kids. My youngest was two, and I think I had my other guy was six, and I had an almost eleven year old. And I had just certified to become an Enneagram teacher. And one of the very first places I was invited was to this prison. I said yes right away. And then I found in the preparing to go there, I was right up against myself the whole time, um, terrified of my own inadequacy, of my own ineptitude, of not knowing enough, not being able to teach it ever before, and um, convinced that I would be just not not good enough at it and um, it was for me very um, heart opening when I actually got to the prison Um, they were nothing like I imagined them to be and I had projected all over them to be they were not um, judging me they were completely acceptance accepting they were so grateful that I came and they were so interested in learning more about themselves and they um they made so much room for me to teach just what I knew, which was more than enough. And in their presence, I got to unfold as a brand new teacher and I got to stand in my good enoughness. And I had really never done that before. But what helped me to do it was that what I was trying to teach them was the system of um, our own little personal prisons and how we make them that I had really yet to learn. And I'm sure that's where that adage, teach what you need to learn comes from, because I really thought I had this, um, this system that was so valuable, but I had missed the total um, point of the whole thing, I think, in my own fear of going. So as these guys took this information in and took steps towards themselves, I realized that they were modeling for me the very thing that I was trying so hard to figure out how to do in myself. And even as I say that, and it still makes me a little tearful because um, it was so healing and I had no idea that I was going to heal. I thought I was going to teach, but mm. they were the teachers actually. It's so profound, such a profound statement. I, feel, I have really felt that same way, just... Um, you know, you, I call myself, or, and when you get trained in mindfulness-based stress reduction, you become a teacher of it. And at the same time, I'm, I feel like I'm <clears throat> like almost broken open each time I get a chance to teach mm-hmm. it. And, and they're, you know, just, it's remarkably healing every single time. So <clears throat> I'm certainly a student of it just as much or more so than anybody else that right. I'm supposedly yeah. teaching it to. Yeah, exactly. 
Susan, you mentioned, um, you say, I have personally witnessed the effect of self-awareness training on the incarcerated. I know in my heart this is the only path for all of us as a collective society that wants a better future for all involved. It's such a profound statement. I wonder if you could talk a bit about that. Yeah. Well, picking up where I was just speaking about in that in that first prison, I watched how um, person after person was talking about how they had done this horrible thing. They um, most people wanted to say some version of you know I did that, but it's not really the all of who I am. And I think, well, no, of course not. We're not all the worst things that we've done. We're we're so many. Um, we're so much more, and. Yet we get stuck there, but not just the people in prison, you know, people that are um, having affairs and yelling at their kids and cheating on tests and um, lying to the board and (laughs) all kinds of different ways. We're all struggling and um, we will, you know, I, I think of this metaphor of when you're, when you're, when Siri on my iPhone is telling me where to go and then I I just go the wrong direction. She's just rerouting, right? We will reroute our lives fiercely in order to not have to deal with who we really are, not have to face ourselves. And we don't even know that we're doing it. But I think we call in um, so many circumstances because the part of ourselves that really loves us wants to change. We just don't know how to get there. So in a lot of ways, I think by the time somebody's in prison, they've just um, gotten in so much trouble with their personality. And But because... uh, it's almost like the the more pain you're in, the bigger you have to work your life. I think, mm-hmm. um, but I I teach the the same system and I work in the same way. Whether I'm working with corporate executives or high school seniors or people in the county jail, it doesn't matter. That one way or another, we're all we're all up against this um, this struggle to figure out how do we how do we stay with within, how do we stay with ourselves. It's hard mm-hmm. in there. Mm-hmm. Yes, and you mentioned also, this is another, I mean, you have so many profound statements. It's this one in particular. It says, it's remarkable how everyone starts to look so much better when we begin to work on ourselves. Can oh, yeah. <laughs> can you talk a bit about that? Well, it's amazing. We're, I, I'm so guilty of this. And my, my husband and I have done a ton of work and a lot of therapy and a lot of work together Um and in the beginning, I think we, we both really felt like if you would change, then I would feel so much better. It would, it would, it's really easy to find the thing that's not working outside of ourselves. But I read a book um, a while ago called um, "There's Nothing Wrong with You," and it's by Sherry Uber. And Sherry writes in this cute font and his little adorable pictures. And I remember her writing, um, "Everything outside of ourselves is an aspect of ourselves." And I remember stopping for a second, actually closing the book and thinking, "Huh." What do I think about that? And then I wasn't sure. And then I went back to the book and I turned the page and there was only one word, everything. Mm. And I thought, oh my goodness. And that one statement has given me so much traction um, to deal with my projections. I think it's so much easier to locate a part of ourselves that we cannot stand in our partner, in our employee, in our kid. Um, than it is to recognize that it's just a reflection of us. So if we if we really use that to um, see what is what are we being shown and what are we judging, what are we frustrated by, what's angering us, and how is that a reflection of something that's in us, then we can um, we can make a lot of headway. I've I've learned a lot from approaching the world like that. Mm-hmm. 
Yes, and it, it uh, resonates also with, I've heard a statement that you made too about, <clears throat> you know, working with the incarcerated and having that perspective that um, they're not like the other. You know, the moment we can just open our hearts more and actually see that they you know, there are aspects of them that are in us as well. And there are good, you know, like they, they aren't just the, the um, you know, the terrible act that they had done at some point in their past. They are all that we are. And mm-hmm. so um, just being more open to, I think it was somebody that said, well, I, how do you work with the incarcerated? And um it was just your response has evolved over time, but it was just this more, you know, open perspective about mm-hmm. the incarcerated, that they are not necessarily just the other. That um, Does that make sense, Susan? Yeah, and I think that, um, I, don't, I don't know, for me, Rochelle, ever since I went to that first prison, I really felt quite at home there. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's a past life thing or what that is. I'm sure I probably <laughs> killed somebody in one of those lives or more than one time. But I really feel that it's familiar and it's easy for me. And it's really easy for me to see the light in other people, much harder for me to see the light in me. Mm-hmm. And when I could take that, I have to, um, it's harder for me to bring the positive aspect of that. But um, if I, and by the same token, if everything outside of ourselves is an aspect of ourselves, then when I see the beauty in you, that's also a reflection of the beauty in me. Mm-hmm. Oh, and that makes me cheerful too, because mm-hmm. how, how, thank goodness that works both ways. Mm-hmm. But my experience internally was always to default to the harder way. And when I got a, um, a sense of how I could even it out by, by letting the light in other people reflect the light in me and that was just a much much kinder way to to do that work um so yeah i i think it's really it's easy for me to see other people's potential it's easy for me to see certainly easier to see how people are in their ego than it is for me to see my own ego and um and i really when i whenever i'm and in their teaching, or even when I'm teaching in corporations or in church or wherever I am, I usually try to lead with my own growth edge because I want people to know I'm, I'm right next to them in that trench of trying to figure out how to be kinder to self, how to let my pattern go, how to pivot and come back in. And um, you really can't teach what you don't know. You can't take anybody someplace you haven't been. And one of my um, earlier earliest teachers told me that and I don't even think I understood the profundity of what she was saying at the time but now I I get that more than I have in the past Uh, Mm. you have to you know journey your own terrain you have to know your own pain before you can think that you can help somebody else with theirs it is time to take a short break and before we go I'd love to share a quote by Susan Olesek. Who do you want to be? Take the step close in, the one you don't necessarily want to take, and see what wants to happen. My guest today is Susan Olesek. You can connect with Susan and sign up on her mailing list and get updates and support her healing work at EnneagramPrisonProject.org or SusanOlesek.com. We will be right back with Susan Olesek. Do you know that you were born to experience revolutionary wellness? Have you wondered why extraordinary physical, mental, and emotional health has eluded you? Do you know that your infinite personal power resides right here in the present moment? 
people all over the world are awakening to their birthright, Revolutionary Wellness. Introducing the Experience Revolutionary Wellness Coaching Program. Log on today to begin your journey into the mystery and join our virtual village. The world, now more than ever, needs you to feel revolutionarily well. Explore and integrate new ways of being. Learn to access your own unique treasure. The wisdom that is right there inside you, waiting to be revealed. Experience a renewed, vivid, and nourishing relationship with yourself and the world around you. When you experience revolutionary wellness, you will be the change you wish to see in the world. Log on to experiencerevolutionarywellness.com today and join Rochelle on an adventure into your own unique journey toward revolutionary wellness. You're listening to Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio. Rochelle is an internationally known meditation teacher, clinician of mind and body medicine, lifestyle change, and self-healing. She's an author, speaker, and creator of Experience Revolutionary Wellness Virtual Village. If you would like to reach Rochelle, send an email to Rochelle at experiencerevolutionarywellness.com. Again, that's Rochelle at experiencerevolutionarywellness.com. Now back to Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio. My guest today is human potentialist Susan Olesek. And Susan is here talking about how if we want to see the change we wish to see in the world, we must change ourselves first and from within. Susan is definitely a person who whose work you will want to follow and partake of her amazing work and wisdom. And you can connect with Susan and sign up on her mailing list to get updates and support her work at the EnneagramPrisonProject.org. Susan, I'd love for us to dive into the project itself, the Enneagram Prison Project, your vision, your um, mission, um, how you're bringing the work into the world, and and any next steps you have coming up, and how do we get connected with you? Oh, what a wonderful opening. Well, we are really excited to be um, programming actively here in California. This is where I um, first started programming or teaching as a volunteer at Elmwood Correctional Facility in Milpitas. And um, after a number of years, just as a volunteer there, the, um, the people who are in the class, the students themselves are the ones who really, I think, are the proof of how um, viable something is. And they kept doing the work and doing the work. And um, we started with a pilot program. And then um, at the January of just this past year, we um, were first awarded a grant through Santa Clara County. So we've been programming to five different populations, including maximum security women and um, in protective custody and maximum security men and minimum security men and women in order to, um, to grow our program. And we're also um, contracted with this um, San Mateo County Jail routine there. We've, we've taught um, some of the gang populations, and we're also programming at San Quentin State Prison with um, a group of 40 really amazing men, many of whom are in with life sentences. And it's it's kind of like going to church, I would say, without any politics, you know, it's just mm-hmm. very amazing spiritual work. So mm-hmm. I find it very energizing, and um, there's a small group of us that are in the trench teaching, and um, we're, we've been programming eight weeks at a time so about 24 hours of programming um, at each of these different facilities and we really um, 
you can't legally force anybody to take the program and we really don't want to do that anyway. We, we want people to come because they're really interested in, um, in making a change in their lives. Mm-hmm. And um, so people come in for all different reasons, but over time, just with the programming we've been doing, um, a lot of the recruiting is happening organically where the men and women leave and they go and tell their their cellies or their other people in their dorm that the class was meaningful for them. And uh, we really encourage people to take it again and again because the material is always you know, um, new in a way because we are always new and we're evolving. So that's been going on. For quite a while, and um, I think what happens um, around, I would say, week six or so, five, six, seven, we usually notice a profound turn in most of the students who, by then, they sort of understand what what personality even is, that I have this pattern, that it's running me, they've been watching themselves doing it. They have very sort of rudimentary mindfulness practice where they they learn to take a seat deep inside of themselves and watch what they do before they want to go do it. And people are are starting to really connect the dots between how the pattern of their personality got them in trouble in the first place and how being more aware of how this pattern um, is running them, they can create more of a pause between the stimulus and what they want to go do and then make, maybe even they make the same choice, but doing that with a, a grounded presence is much different than just doing it in a reactive way. So people are changing. And we've actually just in the process right now, Rochelle, of gathering current data on our recidivism stats. Um, but a year ago, when we had to provide those for the grant, we had a, a 5% recidivism rate in um, the county of Santa Clara and 10% in the county of San Mateo. So we're hoping that those um, have sustained even gotten better and we're actively gathering that as we go. It's so inspiring, Susan. I know you do integrate uh, somatic practices. Can you speak a little bit about that? Yeah, well, I, I think that we hold a lot in our bodies um, very unconsciously mm-hmm. and being able to um, be aware of how, um, as uh, Bessel van der Kolk says, the body keeps score mm-hmm. um, and what it's, um, the way it's, it's holding on to the past, uh, particularly because so many of our students are dealing with trauma that, um, that happened Mm, at very very early ages and actually trauma that you can't even make up that's that's more it's more like torture um people have a lot of different layers of their hurt and a lot of different unconscious ways of holding on to it so um we're, we're really um developing that part of our curriculum right now but you really like i said you can't change what you can't see and so we take a look at the somatic level at the psychological level at the emotional level and um each one of those different vantage points gives us more data and more ways to try to shift, try to change inside of ourselves. Um, yeah. And we're also dealing with a substantial um, popula- uh, addiction population, people who are in for drug-related crimes. And I think that one of the things we really know um, is that it's uh, our, our textbook is The Wisdom of the Enneagram. And in it, Don Riso and Russ Hudson say, it's our divine right to feel good. We want we to feel joy. We want to feel love. We want to feel connected. We want to feel seen. And we don't feel that way. We want to reach for something that will make us feel better. And our personality is the first thing we reach for. Um, and when you're dealing with a, a profound amount of physical, sexual, emotional abuse, trauma, or all these different um, things that have happened to you, it's not often enough just to, you know... Um, try to be try to be successful or to 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 fix something or to um to do these 
personality moves. And so people reach for a substance, they reach for a process, they reach for something else. And when that's not doing it either, then people start to really desperate because how, how can I not feel better for any you know, of these different attempts that I'm making? So we try to really bring in a lot of de-shaming of addiction and letting people know that um, there's nothing wrong with them, but there's a lot that's happened to them. And we, um, we've been really leaning into the work of Dr. Gabor Mate, a Canadian-Hungarian physician out of um, Canada, who helps us to understand that addiction is really a person's attempt to solve a problem that started a long time ago. Mm-hmm. And all of this together, I think, has really made a very solid entry point for people when they, um, when they land in our class, because people are, at that point, pretty sick of themselves. And they've been told to change, they want to change, but they don't know how. They don't have a map. And so we, we just surround people with a huge field of love. We tell them this, this is a system about what's, what's right and what's good about you and, and about your own intelligence. The intelligent part of you tried to save yourself from things that just were almost unbearable. And um, what do you know people heal when they're met like that? And sometimes it just takes one person for people to have been met with that way that, to help them to change. And um, so we also have um, a beginning present on the outside. Um, we have what we call the ambassador program for um, men and women who fall in love with the Enneagram and f- with themselves on the inside and graduate. Um, they can apply to be part of our ambassador program and that's where they are um, in one of three different paths, either to be in service to the project and we have a lot to do or to be an ambassador speaker and to help us speak to other students and institutions and um all kinds of places we get invited to, to talk. And um, for the rare student that comes out, there's some that actually have it in them um, to want to go and be a teacher and to come back inside. And I like to joke, I'm just some, you know, white lady with a poster and a good idea. But if I can get some amazing former leader of the Norteños or a woman who's, you know, actually been in the jails for much longer than I have, then I have a lot more credibility. And that's what we're trying to really develop. So we use, um, we are sort of a self-sustaining project because we have grants and um, contracts, but we use a lot of our fundraising to scholarship ambassadors to deepen their Enneagram studies and to become certified Enneagram teachers in their own right so that they can come back in and, and do the work with us. And that is ultimately so satisfying for, for me as a teacher and to watch that happen and also for the, the student themselves to come full circle and, um, and for the people on the inside, it's really amazing. So really, really developing that work right now. It's so inspiring, Susan. It's really incredible. Mm-hmm. How can we support you? What's the best way to go about that? Well, a really big thing we're trying to do right now is to raise funds for the things I just described. So we, um, we're we closing out some things for the end of 2016 and um that's an amazing way to be a contributor. We're looking for financial partners, and we know that um, this is a large, large vision. Vision, and um, we also know that it's happening. That we believe the enneagram is like when you give somebody a understanding of self and the pattern that's locked them in. It's like giving them a key to their own freedom. So when somebody sponsors an inmate. Um, to go through the training and all the way to become a teacher, that's incredible. And or at the level of just sponsoring um, enough so that one person can go through our program, that's um, $500 for one person to go just through the eight week program. And we see people connecting the dots in themselves in the, you know, the very first and second weeks. So we like to um, start at that, at that level. And because that makes it so viable for really one person to step 
um, outside of their own cage, I would call it, and then all the way to becoming a teacher. Um, we're also really developing an international affiliate program. Um, one of the, the very first countries that stepped up, interestingly, was in Finland. And we have uh, an amazing woman leading the Enneagram Prison Project in Finland, in Laura Valtonen. And um, we didn't necessarily think that we were going to start with a country about as far away as we could possibly get from the United States, but <laughs> that's where it started. And they're working with a women's um, prison and doing beautiful work out there. And uh, we're contacted weekly by other countries around the world. And so we really believe that this is something that's going to be for everybody. It cuts across gender age, um, nationality, it doesn't matter. Everybody, it's a, it's a human system. So one, people, one, people, way people, one way that people can really support us is, um, is by helping us financially. That's a huge one. And um, we have a number of, of places on our website where people can see more about our work. Um, we aim to scale this thing and it takes a village. It really does. It sure does. Susan, I, we have a couple more minutes. I would love to also hear about your consultation work. Would you be up for sharing about your other work that you do that's also related to the Enneagram, correct? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I am still using the same system and I am the same teacher. So sometimes I go straight from the jail to some, you know, $14 million mansion and some. <laughs> Palo Alto or someplace like that. And um, it doesn't really matter because people are equally hurting. And mm-hmm. interestingly, when I first certified, um, the two places that I was invited to teach were in that Texas prison and to Young Presidents Organization here in the Bay Area. And ever since then, I've kind of felt like this human bridge where I just keep um, one foot in each sort of um, walk of life, I would say. So part of what I love to do is allow people who are um, working with the system earnestly in whatever their walk of life is to come in and share about their own personal path with people who are incarcerated. And then for the people who are incarcerated to come out and share what they've learned to other organizations. And I, I once, um, we had a group of um, business people that were in and my prerequisite is that if anybody ever visits our program, they have to be willing to determine or at least uh, pick their own Enneagram type because that's our playing field leveler. And I, I had a type three who is the performer, the doer, um, achiever, and um one guy who was an executive, he said, well, you know, I am um, I knew I was this type when I was trying to beat my daughter uh, at a game of Candyland, and I was really competitive with her. <laughs> and then um, the type three who was um, a guy who was incarcerated said, you know, well, I'm a three too, but I'm, I'm the unhealthy version. And the guy, the guy with, tried to beat his daughter at Candyland, he's like, well, I'll see you're unhealthy and raise you one like I'm the unhealthy kind. And it was it's really neat. That's just a little example of what happens is people just talk about their humanity and it doesn't really matter what your other accessories are around you Mm -hmm. so yeah I work with um, people often um, just takes one person in an organization to get some consciousness and then I say wouldn't it be nice if you weren't the only person holding the awareness about you know these patterns your whole team and then that gives them the flexibility of bringing it in and sharing, sharing the love, sharing the, the information with other people so people can take responsibility for themselves. It's a lot to, to own why we do what we do and to not mm-hmm. feel like it's out of our control. Mm-hmm. 
My guest today has been human potentialist Susan Olesek. To learn more about her extraordinary work, please visit www.enneagramprisonproject.org or susanolesek.com. Susan, it has been so inspiring to have you with us today on Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio for sharing the passion of your heart with the world and working to heal the incarcerated in us all so that we may do our own inner work and thereby help co-create the future we all long for and hope for. It has been deeply humbling and inspiring to talk to you today. So thank you so much, Susan. Thank you, Rochelle, for the opportunity. And thank you so much for your beautiful open heart and the space to share. Thank you. It's my pleasure. And to all of my listeners, I hope you will join me next week right here for an enlightening conversation with registered psychotherapist Victoria Laurent Fabish about how you can prevent multi-generational dysfunction by developing deep awareness and articulating your own self-culture, thereby creating new neural pathways and living a healthy and passionate relationship culture. It is such a pleasure to be here with you all on Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio. Thank you for joining me on this journey. Until next time, I'm Rochelle McLaughlin. May you be well. Thank you for opening your heart and mind to a new way of being, to greater degrees of self-compassion and wellness, and your experience of your own infinite potential with Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio. Join host Rochelle next Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern Time to turn courageously towards your own unique experience of health and wellness here on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Remember, you too can experience revolutionary wellness. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.